You're tuned in to the MTGG Cable Cast, 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 where they cover magic, the gathering finance. All right. You don't know about it. You're tuned in right now and get ready to learn some shit. Buckle your seat belts and light a blunt and get ready for the MTG Cable Cast, 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 starring Reptar and Thirsty, them onion head motherfuckers. All right, guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal Cast. For this week's episode, it's part one of two on a topic that we cover somewhat regularly, mm-hmm. uh, and that is alternate printed, printings mm-hmm. of cards, chase cards, showcase, whatever you want to call them, uh, invocations, masterpieces, all down the line. That's basically what we're going to look at. We talk about them a lot, and what we wanted to do was basically take a look at we talk about the trends of these cards. Let's dive into what's actually going on with them yep. and why we think that is. So the way we've structured the two episodes, this week each of us picked two insert-type things or alternate prints without telling the other what they were. And next week we're both going to cover Modern Horizons 2 because there's a million different versions of cards in that set. So MH2 is excluded from this episode. Yes. It's just everything else. Yep. So... Take it away. Without further ado. So it took me a little while to kind of come up with what I wanted to talk about here because I had to really define variants for myself. And the way I look at this is I'm I wanted to look at variants that I do not consider set variants, meaning the art deco treatment in Streets of Nuka Penna. That is something interesting that Watsi did with the set so that kind of stuff I kicked out so I was just looking at purely supplemental variants and things that appear in and around a set and a really good example of this is the first one I want to talk about which is the Zendikar Rising Expeditions and these are are different than the first set because they are non-foil so they're easier to move and recognize and with the easier to determine art, it makes things so much easier for players, vendors, and spectators compared to the original expeditions, which were hell on wheels to identify. The color palettes were extremely similar among the land types, so all your red-green lands basically look the same. And these are a great card pool for Commander. It's 15 fewer cards overall. The shock lands and battle for Zendikar lands were removed, and some of the duds that were in Oath of the Gatewatch were replaced with better utility lands like Valakut, which I consider utility, or things like Prismatic Vista, you know, the, the new fetch land on the block. Uh, Grove above the burned willows, creeping tarpit, and Celestial Colonnade also kind of ran out those, but that swap. Now, these were external to the main set, which is why I actually really liked them. These were a buy a box promo and only located within collector's boosters. So you're not going to see them in draft. You're not going to see them. Well, you will see them in regular play. Draft is the big one. Yeah. And it allows players to have a more uniform experience when playing with the set overall. And I, to me, this kind of exemplifies really what I like to see in variants like this, where you're not going to pick a style 
and do something intraset like that Art Deco. You want to do something interesting and unique, so you move things up to the buy a box location, or just the collector's boosters, or just the set boosters. Something to kind of give way now for the drafters, for people who want to have a uniform experience. Granted, when we had the original expeditions, invocations, and masterpieces, collectors, boosters, and the difference between set and draft weren't really there, the buy a box promo option was, however. Watsy just decided, fuck limited, and allowed people to play Monocrypt at pre-release events. Shit went off the rails. Yeah. And as far as a look for these go, the cards that I really like are actually some of the most flat cards, which is a little interesting. And it's the five battle bond lands that are in the set. Everything else on this list is just juiced already for constructed play because you have the all ten fetch lands in here, and you have all five scars of mirrored and fast lands. Then you have ancient tomb, cavern of souls, and I mentioned colonnade and creeping tarpet as your creature lands. Grove of the burn red willows was already on the downslope. So what's the rest of this about? Prismatic Vista, Strip Mine, Valakut, Wasteland, and then the five Battle Bond Lands. The reason that I liked these when I wrote this is because the only printing they had at the time was this version. It was the full art version as the expedition was the only way to get it outside of Battle Bond. And if we take a look at all five, generally speaking, they're pretty flat, which is something that I didn't actually expect looking at these, but we do see bumps every like couple of years, basically, like on the dot. Sea, cloud, uh, sea of Clouds sees a bump in April of 2021 and 2022. Morphic Pools just kind of floats around depending on what's coming out in the Demir Suite. Luxury Suite, your Black Red Land, again, same thing. We've been getting some pretty decent Rakdos cards, so that one's been on the rise pretty steadily. Bountiful Promenade, Green White, again, is super tied to what's going on in Traset. We can see uh, coming out of Neo, a little bit of a bounce here, um, right before Streets of Capenna. And then Spire Garden, a red, uh, a red Green Land, is not quite a rope, you know. Um, its new floor was like $17.00 after people stopped caring about Zendikar when Time Spiral came out, and we're still sitting on like 18. That's your frozen rope. That's just coming, gonna come in straight through. These are all in the Baldur's Gate Commander decks, I believe. They were just spoiled, so that's to my point about earlier, why I like them when I made this list. I still like them overall because it's the Commander decks, and sure, people might buy into them, but on the heels of these Commander decks, we also are getting the Warhammer 40K decks, and so there might also be waning interest that allows us to kind of move in on these as a cheaper option overall. Right now, the Baldur's Gate lands do look a little better from an aesthetic standpoint of what a regular land looks like. So that kind of leaves us with the mystique of the expedition border. And that's going to be something that I'm going to continue to like in the future. It's a pretty cheap and flashy way to upgrade your deck. When you consider the market on some of these, I'll, I'll pull up... Um, Morphic Bulls, for instance. The the market is $32, and the Battle Bond version is about 28 So it's a really narrow difference right now, and it makes it very easy for people to have this kind of unique and distinct treatment for their lands compared to the original expeditions that are like already gone, and the Battle Bond lands weren't in there. But also, just something that's very attainable. Yeah, I, I think... The interesting thing, and I didn't even realize that I did this as well in mine, which we'll get to, is I picked the supplemental additional product. I didn't pick the stuff that was in the set. I think that one's going to be really interesting to see because 
you know, Masterpieces and Invocation started a couple years before we had collector boosters and, yep. you know, Ikoria introduced all these different versions of cards. Um, so that, that may be an episode down the line for those of you listening. Uh, I think it's really interesting. I, I prefer when they do the products like this. Yep. When it's not just a version of the card in the set, when it is an additional, here's access to a card that may be getting a little bit pricey, like okay. a Blackleaf Cliffs, for example. Uh, you can't play it in standard, but it's kind of in a standard print run, just not in the same quantity. Mm-hmm. And I think if we're going to reprint everything into the ground, I much prefer personally things like this rather than collector boosters or god forbid we get vip boosters again with the next double master set and have to deal with that debacle all over yeah uh but you know the the interesting thing that you touch on and i think is really important is how many of those lands are tied to other releases you know when you talk about a demir land and the overall value being tied to demir cards Mm -hmm. it goes to exemplify that you know commander kind of drives a lot of these products uh you know when you want to talk about your masterpieces and stuff like that i would hazard a guess there are way more people that put you know expedition verdant catacombs in their edh decks than do in their modern and legacy decks uh just because that that's what i've seen and i would imagine that tends to be the case because don't get me wrong you know people obviously pimp those decks out but I don't think they're using these supplemental products as much. Yeah. Um, you also only need the one, so it's easier overall. You can move that money around elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. And you know what? If I need four Verdant Catacomb Expeditions, then maybe I can foil out Modern if I want to, but right now I've got them in four different EDH decks, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um, the, the thing that I'm really interested in seeing, and this will be you know, more of a long-term lookout or outlook, is with the Fetchlands from Zendikar Rising with those expeditions, how those compare not just to the original expedition, Fetchlands, but the, you know, set versions as we go on. What happens to the Onslaught Polluted Delta compared to the Zendikar Rising yeah, expedition? Yeah. Is there a point where that price eclipses the Onslaught? Just because, you know, who knows? I, I would venture a guess that those print runs are probably comparable that we probably have a similar amount of expedition polluted deltas as we did onslaught just because of how print runs have exploded mm-hmm. since then so that's something that i think is going to be absolutely fascinating yeah. to watch like every two and a half cases you should open one of everything right yeah i think that was about the math so yeah somewhere in there or no there's 30 sorry so every five cases yeah you know you'd hit one of each which is still a lot the other thing that, that that I like about moving this up to the buy a box promo slot is that means LGSs that crack for pre-orders or for case stock end up with these because you don't have to crack CBBs or hope for the inserts. And also, as a vendor, it means I don't have to put these on my buy list immediately. They're going to be in the boxes that I crack as well. So it makes it very easy for the entirety of the ecosystem to have access to these. And I think that's also really important and kind of pushes down especially if you look at the 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 jacked up price like that these yeah. came in when you see okay pre-order price for sea of clouds forty dollars release 14 like that's just from the mass openings across 
all vendors, all stores, all players, you know? And I think that is something that often gets overlooked with product like this is you're not rolling the dice on those inserts, which goes back to the pack cracking math we did a number of episodes ago. Yeah. Like one in 30 will have a sea of clouds. That's your math. It's very easy to do that. And it makes it a lot more palatable as a vendor to then say, okay, we don't have to focus on sea of clouds based on what our numbers say for battle bond stuff. We can actually focus on other cards from this set that we're going to need infinite. Exactly. Of, you know, Omnath and uh fell retreat. Like, yeah. Balagan recovery, stuff like that. You can refocus. And I think that that's also super important. Yeah. I, I, especially with these kinds of things, there's minor lessons that actually have a huge impact to be learned based on how these chase cards are inserted. Yeah. Uh, because it really is like, you, you know, as a player, you're going to chase that because that's where the money is. As a vendor, you just can't mm -hmm. do that when you're cracking. Just focus on the other stuff. Yeah. Uh, right. So mine that I picked, uh, I went almost all the way back to the beginning uh, with what I think is the most heinous alternate printings we have ever had in the history of Magic. I'm not talking about the Dragon Con promo 3D hologram Dragon Whelp. I think that thing's amazing. I'm talking about the Yu-Gi-Oh! proxies that came out in Amonkhet. Okay. Uh, Which one? All of them? So, uh, there's two in particular that I wanted to look at for trending. And that was Divert and Dark Ritual. Dark Ritual becomes relevant later. Why these two cards? Because one of them is purely collectability, as I've touched on numerous times, and that's Divert. Mm -hmm. And the other actually has not just EDH implications, but legacy, vintage, bunch of implications in other formats. Pre-modern, middle school, whatever you play. Uh, so the interesting thing about both of these cards is actually when the first big spike happens, it's around the same time. It's around January of 21, a little bit after like late January, early February, if you look on the stocks graph. Now, the interesting thing here is one of these, again, is eminently playable and the other is not. So if you look at the divert graph, you see it spike and then it craters down to like $25, spikes again. And then we're gradually riding this rope of about $30, $35. So obviously 2021, as we all know, did a lot of things to the magic economy. There's a number of reasons for that. We could get into those for hours, really, you know, so let's try to save a little bit of time. Uh, now, Dark Ritual, on the other hand, you see a steady incline. You know, it, it starts out high, dips, and then steadily goes up. And then, of course, March, February 21, it spikes. And now we're actually writing a downtrend on this card. Now, interestingly, going over to TCG Player, we have 22 diverts listed currently. Low is $25. We have 32 Dark Rituals. Low is 77. That's unique listings, not total listings, mind you. Mm -hmm. Now, what's interesting about that to me is that this says one of two things. Either one, the people who were collecting these sets probably bought in and built their collections in January of 21, because obviously organized play was not the reason for this. It was stimmy checks, probably. Mm -hmm. uh, and two, we're not seeing as many diverts reintegrated into the ecosystem as we are Dark Rituals. So that says to me, trend-wise... 
we've kind of hit a floor on these cards because to me that's more indicative of the collectors getting these cards that they are not going to let back into the wild until they're going to reposition it into another asset yep uh so i you know if i had these especially on cards like dark ritual which we're in the middle of a downturn on it's very interesting to me that the card with actual liquidity and playability is on a downturn and the other card is flatlining you know well steady we've reached a plateau not flatlining sorry that's a really interesting comparison to me and you know when we both of us when we talk about these we're like oh the collectors the collectors the collectors well here's the evidence where the collectors came out and actually impacted the price of this card these cards now do we expect another surge of collectors to buy into this maybe eventually because someone that may have started back then may try to, you know, go back in time and collect all the cards that were super cool when they started and mm-hmm. try to build them all. Uh, but I think that on these, we've kind of reached, based on all indications, worst case scenario, a new floor. But in all likelihood, for the next midterm, six months to a year, probably the plateau that these prices are going to be at. Uh to me, just based on supply, liquidity, I mean, looking at, you know, last sales on Dark Ritual, we have 5.9 and 4.24. That's a couple weeks between the two. That says these aren't very liquid. Whereas you look at Divert, 4.18 was the last sale, literally one month ago from when we're recording this episode. So there is no liquidity no, there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which, again purely indicative of the collector mindset that that's where these cards are disappearing to. So at least in this case, we can kind of see that the trend that we'd predicted on here is what's happening to these cards. Yeah, it's interesting. I keep forgetting about these, every single one of them besides um, Doomsday and Mind Twist. And I remember about Mind Twist because that art is hilarious. And doomsday because it's just a pet like doomsday is yeah. is a deck i always threaten to have a good time with yeah and i honestly think the um the r for that one is one of the best in the set so i never keep an eye on these so whenever we get a chance to go back and actually take a look i really like it because it does speak to the fact that like yeah these things were absolute clunkers but at the end of the day they the they are worth a lot more than what people thought they were going to be yeah uh Uh, interestingly the two least valuable of these not divert diabolic edict and threads of disloyalty threads make sense because that was a modern playable when goif was all over yeah and twin was a deck and i don't understand why edict like i the reason I think Edict is the most affordable is probably because of the old border FNM promo. Yeah, but I guess people don't might play might not play enough Paper Popper. Yeah, and, that's probably. Or Edict fell out of the format because it had a price for a while. One because EDH it was a great removal spell way back at the beginning of the format, and then I guess Popper yeah, was a driver was. for Mono Black Control, which was pushing Oublier. Yeah. Then if nobody's playing it, then yeah, there's nothing else to go with. Um, so. The for me the second idea that I had actually turned into more of a theme and it's one I dislike and it's inset universes beyond. Hmm. So 
this is the Godzilla, Dracula, whatever uh, yes. ideas. And you might think, well, halt. The Dracula stuff lines up with Innistrad. That was the alternative treatment. It was one of the alternative treatments. One of them. All right, so that's why I bundled these. Because not only did Crimson Vow have showcases and then eventually the double feature treatment it also had this dracula stuff contained within now you know these are all polarizing cards and character choices that create a narrow market and some of the base cards are just bad they're just terrible yeah. they were just choices based on theming right yeah and shrinking that market means no matter who you are just a person, a, a player who opens the pack, a backpacker, an LGS, a vendor, it makes it really difficult to move a lot of this stuff because not everybody knows who all these characters are. So now we have a liquid assets that can also be very swingy in terms of in-universe, quote-unquote, popularity. The Godzilla universe beyond seems to be more of a gotta catch them all or gotta catch most of them kind of set the majority of the characters are noteworthy for those that have watched the toho filmography as well as the u.s remakes so this casts yeah. a wider net of interest across the majority of the cards and the nice part is is that these were in the buy a box promo slot so cool you extrapolate up but these were also in the draft booster slot which is not something i was super fond of seeing as mentioned earlier because now you have that disparate art thing going on where not everybody knows what everything does and even in ikoria you could still have the comic treatment and the godzilla treatment on some of these cards the dracula universes beyond they this seems to be by the few you want so this leaves more cards on the outside, possibly holding a premium, only because it's part of the universes beyond. Like, I didn't realize there were several Van Helsing cards that were more than just Van Helsing by name. So they're going to hold a premium because of that, rather than actually being a useful card. Yeah. There are fewer familiar characters for those that have digested Dracula-related content from pop culture. So... Like, Renfield didn't make a lot of the the movie references. Van Helsing isn't always immediately tied to Dracula. Whoever Thalia was was not immediately tied to Dracula outside of the book. The Three Sisters, etc. These are all, like, various pieces of Dracula pop culture that kind of come into one, which speaks to kind of a bad choice for an IP overall to use in here. And, as I mentioned... This is, again, in the main set, and it forces players to interact with additional unfamiliar art and looks. Now, that being said, we've talked about the Godzilla stuff before. You picked the Godzilla treatment a while ago, and I agreed with that, and I still do. And of these two universes beyond, and probably the majority of them going forward, when they do things like this, where they add this internal set treatment for seemingly no good reason... I'm going to like the Godzilla stuff. I think it casts the widest net overall. It has some of the most iconic characters from the universes beyond that they've chosen the place in the set. And I think if you're looking at the characters overall, 
you really only need to focus on one, two, three, four, five unique cards, and then however many Godzilla Godzilla cards you want. So that's almost like a third to a quarter of all the Godzilla treatments gets you main characters. It gets you Mothra. It gets you Ghidorah. It gets you Rodan, and then uh, Mecha Godzilla, and then there's like four or five different Godzillas that you can get. You know, yeah. if you like Caesar instead of Kong, cool. You can get Caesar if you think baby Godzilla didn't jump the shark that's in there for you too right the price on these again though is kind of crappy a lot of them are just ropes and I think you picked them right you picked them right before they took a jump which was great so people who got in around them then have seen a bump but from there we've been flat overall and I think the only one that's really going to see a, a long term sorry a faster amount of growth than the others is Mothra because it's part of a combo engine for EDH because you place flying counters on things and you can do weird stuff with that and go uh, make something infinitely large. But I believe the rest of these will begin to hold a premium for a collector level asset. And for what it's worth, when I say Mecha Godzilla, I want to be clear. I mean the Japanese promo Mecha Godzilla, not the Hangerback Walker. Yeah. From the Secret Layer, those are detached. Those are unrelated. It's just if you want to Bob Ross it, a happy accident. Yeah. Uh, I I think one of the most telling things about the Godzilla collectability compared to some of the others. Uh, you know, obviously, personally, I like the Dracula treatment because it's one of my favorite novels ever. The Mina Harker choice, whatever. Um, of course, everyone remembers when Ikoria came out. And it came out, oh, Space Godzilla is going to be called Death Corona. Mm -hmm. It was a huge deal. The card was like 100 bucks for a little bit. And now it's just $4 mm -hmm. for the foil version. Because nobody cares. Nobody cares. And I, I think... The Godzilla ones especially are a great experiment in universes beyond and in their financial value. Because as we touched on in the episode where we talked about pop culture and its influences on magic and we touched on, hey, look, here's the Toho film verse and what they're doing over the next couple of years. Pay attention to these. Mm -hmm. uh, this is very unique because it is a property that is not as relevant in the cultural zeitgeist as like Lord of the Rings or Warhammer is to general nerd culture. Yep. This is a whole separate, like Kaiju is its own thing, completely separate from magic. Um, I think it has universal collectability. I think it's something that is also mostly timeless because at least for me, uh, when I was growing up and I was like watching Power Rangers as a child, I loved this stuff. Yeah. And I've grown less fond of it as time has gone on. But you know what they're still making new series of and exposing new people to? Power Rangers and Kaiju. And as long as we can get more players in Magic, there is the possibility that the Godzilla cards can grow. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's the case with the Dracula treatment in Innistrad. Not to mention you had the Castlevania art guy do Soren. So. In inside what? set as a different treatment. And I think that actually speaks against there's a point against the dracula treatment yeah right uh and not just that it was the same cards that got the dracula treatment got the other alternative treatment because let's not forget there were alternative comic book treatments in aquaria yes. 
not all of the cards that got those also got the Godzilla treatment. That is correct. I believe. Uh, uh, so the legendary ones like Gairuda and stuff like that did, but the smaller ones like Poliwog Symbiote didn't, as far as I know, get the comic book treatment. They got the baby Godzilla treatment. I think almost everything with Mutate might have actually... I think that's how they might have done it. It was everything that had Mutate yeah. got a comic book treatment because the, like the Parakeet or whatever it's called got the comic yeah. book treatment. Yeah, it was Mutate and Companion. Yeah. The set mechanics got both. Um if they got a god if they got a Godzilla treatment, they also got the you know, other treatment, Gyruda, for example. Um which which I think is interesting because like you said, it's in set. Not only that, Ikoria was kind of like the start of collector boosters. We weren't really sure what those products were gonna be like, uh, how it was going to affect the market, and it was affected by COVID. So we have that as well. Yeah. Um, in a somewhat different direction, uh, my other pick that I wanted to look at, and boy, am I sad I was wrong on this one, on. was the Mystical Archives Japanese alt art. So these were still a supplemental product. Yes. They were supplemental to the set. Uh, they were not of cards that appeared in set. The two that I chose to look at were Dark Ritual and Channel as my examples. Dark Ritual because it's a literal apples-to-apples apples comparison of the Invocation Dark Ritual, at least in terms of what the card does. Mm -hmm. uh, looking at the stocks graph, boy, it looks a whole lot like a Rob Alexander Dual Land. It's super flat. It's, it's Scrubland, Savannah, the replaced Badlands art, it's a plateau. It's nothing. Yep. Uh, channel, similarly, nothing. Not a thing going on with these. Really? Uh, now, interestingly, the supplies of these cards on TCG Player, still pretty low. Uh, we have Dark Ritual currently 36 unique listings, low is $20. Channel, 43 listings, low is 24 Which is interesting to me because Channel is less playable than is dark ritual uh also interesting as a side note the customers also purchased on these cards almost all godzilla cards <laughs> so maybe Hell there's yeah. a crossover between those markets uh you know liquidity wise dark ritual we have one sold yesterday the day before mm -hmm. the day before that uh channel yesterday and then five days prior Ugh. now looking at this what this tells me is two things uh, one, production had clearly ramped up at this point. Uh, we'd kind of gotten out of the COVID, you know, production. This was one of the sets where they were, like, mostly recovered or at least weren't in it as bad as they were with Ikoria and some of yeah. the other sets. Uh, also, this is full-blown collector booster time. This is, there's no reason we have set boosters, draft boosters, just buy the collector boosters, get the cards you want, that's where all the value is, and that's what we get with this, uh, is we have all of the value in collector boosters. And what that does is, as you can tell, with the foils of these cards, it kind of flattens out the value. Uh, there's not a whole lot going on. You know, we've got, what, since a year ago now? A literal year, these cards have been flat. 
which of course is proof that there are no bad specs, just longer term timelines. Now, the really interesting thing about these two cards is if you look at the very beginning of the price chart on stocks, Dark Ritual craters almost immediately. Mm -hmm. Channel has a very slow decline before it hits what we now see as the floor of that $25, $30 range. To me, just based on legality of the cards, cube. Yeah. Channel's a cube card. And people were getting this card for their cube. Uh, now, that is something that when we talked about the original masterpieces and talked about like Paradox Engine and stuff, we said, you know, this card's fine to pick up after the EDH banning because it's still a cube card. So this to me is evidence that, hey, cube actually can have an impact on some of these alternative printings. Some of them can be a little bit more desirable or financially viable because people are playing it in their queue. Mm -hmm. And that to me is a lesson I probably like abstractly, obviously you understand, well, yeah, cube has some influence because I sell cards to people that they're getting for their cube all the time at booths. I do it in store. Uh, but actually seeing it impact the financial viability of a card that's legal basically nowhere outside of collectors and cube well there's clear evidence because dark ritual is very much a constructed playable card mm -hmm. and does see play in constructed and edh channel it's just cube yeah uh the other thing that i take away from this is obviously uh man you if you want to park your money anywhere do it in the reserve list because these alternative versions of cards are not great no <laughs> It's weird. So I, I did a little bit of filtering on the mythical, mystical, mystical archives cards. And there's a huge glut between like 40 and 20. And it's just like all these cards that are highly playable in modern and EDH are just sitting right here. And it's almost like people yeah. just don't want, people just don't want foreign cards in their EDH decks, even when they're staples. Like Chaos Warp is... Yeah. A thirty-four dollar market foil. Oops. I, the the only one that I have seen, I will say, the only one I've seen move a lot is like Lightning Bolt. Yeah. Because it's Lightning Bolt. You know, there's there's a million promo versions of the card. You know, I can have twelve different decks, and it's literally a different version of the card in every single one of them. Yeah. Uh, like surprise. I'm not surprised that Tudor is demonic is still number one. But that time warp is still number two. But I think that just speaks to the fact that that standard environment that was basically digital only still had the opportunity to warp the physical the physical card base market because there's no yeah. way time warp is a hundred dollar mythical mystical archive card when Teferi's protection is only sixty like yeah and counterspell forty six. This is these are all foil numbers like yeah yeah, yeah right it just it kind of blows my mind that. This, this stuff is still so stagnant. Yeah. Like, yeah. Man, even... Say la vie. Yep, even Bolt is super flat. These are all super flat. Like, yeah, I, I never would have guessed. Yeah. Man, I'm kind of glad I didn't open any of this set. It just seems... Even the the regular set just seems like a, an absolute dumpster fire. Like, we're yeah. worried about Streets of New Capenna and how difficult that set's been to not make not speculate on but just like assess it just seems yeah. like 
it was opened and now nobody cares like nobody just cares about streets like card kingdom was sold out of hearses and i find that really hard to believe when there are like four cards in the set that matter and that's one of them like you sell out like two weeks into the set and then buy back in and sell out immediately for for a standard format that's no that nobody's playing nobody's playing this format it's it pioneer movement i guess yeah it, it is so with hearse it is a pioneer card uh the uh ledger shredder decks are starting to run hearse and it is very very good yeah but this is a standard set i can't imagine i, I know pi- it's that pioneer the format is running vendors like a vendor like card kingdom and even tcg large vendors out of quantity unless yeah. the set just wasn't opened like we expected it to be speaking personally there's a couple stores i know that opened more than their normal product because of the triumphs yeah which is you know capenna is going to be an interesting case study in set power level because there's a lot of cards in there ledger shredder for example that are just impacting every single format so it it that one will be very interesting to see yeah i think the set evens out over time but right now it just seems like it's under opened or <clears throat> maybe yeah. just people are holding on to things unnecessarily and i shouldn't say people they're like vendors are holding on unnecessarily but we'll see yeah time will tell on that one but uh anything else for this week just that's it for me for part one yep. and then we'll spend all next episode talking about modern horizons 2 and our picks so until next week we are at mtg cabalcast on twitter patreon facebook and youtube the audio version of this podcast should be up anywhere where you can listen to a podcast. I am at Halt Iron Reptar on Twitter. If you want to talk, you are at Thirsty Sizzler. And we'll see you next week.